This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part three of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag with Steve Ballou, who asks, Brian Hemmerdinger was credited with orchestrating the Darnold trade-up and seemed to have always been highly regarded by both the beat and turn on the jets.com seems to have been forgotten in the McCagnan fallout. Is he a loss to the jets and should they have kept him? So let's start with the first part of the question. Yes, he was credited with putting together the Sam Darnold trade, but the more I've asked around, it sort of seems like the Heimerdinger thing was a bit of a myth. In other words, he kept hearing how he was very highly thought of in league circles and it kind of is starting to feel like that might have been perpetrated by McCagnan and Heimerdinger rather than something that people in league circles actually thought. Chris, you have sources on this, whereas I'm just reading tea leaves, so I'll let you get to that in a second. As far as if he's a loss to the Jets and whether or not they should have kept him, there was no way they could keep him if they were getting rid of McCagnan unless they were going to elevate him to general manager, which they were never going to do because clearly he wasn't getting along with Gase since he was McCagnan's right-hand man. I'm not really that sad to see him go. Don't really think it makes a dent, especially when you consider the draft track record that he and McCagnan had together here. And I don't think that there were any plans for him once McCagnan was gone. So, no, I don't think that they needed to keep him or that he's a big loss. The Heimendinger stuff was always funny to me. I was seeing people talk about him on Twitter. And I, I know there were some people that were doing it kind of as a trolling joke. and uh, But I... I I was having trouble deciphering with some of it where if if people were really joking about it or if they really believed it. Um, but he, he was getting too much credit, even if it was a joke by a lot of people. Yeah. He, he did a lot of the legwork on that trade, but and he, he didn't go rogue and do that. It's not like, uh, Mike McCagnan was, or Mike McCagnan was just like, Hey, you go handle this completely. Don't bother checking in with me. Uh, he was doing what McCagnan was telling him to do. He was doing a lot of the grunt work about it, but it wasn't, he wasn't acting on his own there. Um, you know, it, like you just said, if they were going to keep him, they would have had to kept, keep him to be the GM. They didn't even think about doing that. So they clearly didn't think as highly of Brian Heimendinger as a lot of Jets Twitter uh, seemed to think. But uh, a lot of it, I think, uh, was just, the fans were just not happy with the cabinet at all. So they developed this, this stick where anytime something happened that they liked and agreed with, they could just say, Oh, that was Heimendinger. And then that would leave them free to continue to, to criticize McCagnan. I, I think that's what a lot of that was. It's kind of like when you have a starting quarterback that a lot of the fan base doesn't like and you have a backup that yes. maybe isn't as good as the starter, but you're just desperate to get that starter out of there. So you start talking about how good the backup is. And I remember this in the 80s. This would happen a lot with Ken O'Brien and Pat Ryan. Ken O'Brien was clearly the superior quarterback to Pat Ryan. Just no question about it. Pat was a steady hand, but there's a reason why he spent such a long time in the league as a backup rather than a starter. Ken O'Brien was a guy that sometimes could be streaky, but was a really good quarterback, a three-time Pro Bowler, never got the respect that he deserved from the Jets fan base. And I think that it's sort of similar to that. People would get so frustrated with Ken O'Brien that they would start talking up Pat Ryan like he was better than he was. And as you said, Chris, 
people were so exasperated with Mike McCagnin that it just became, oh, Brian Hemmerdinger is the one that made this good move that they liked rather than giving McCagnin credit for anything. And yes, he did do a lot of the legwork on a lot of this stuff. Albert Breer came on the podcast to talk about how Hemmerdinger put together the framework for the Sam Darnold deal. But as you said, McCagnin was the one that green lit it. So that's still technically McCagnin's trade. And if you're going to give Hemmerdinger credit for the stuff you liked, you also have to give him credit for the stuff you didn't like, or at least partial credit because he was McCagnin's right hand man. So the two of them were working in concert and obviously things didn't work out so well. There's no reason why you would have thought, well, look at what this guy did with McCagnin. Clearly that he should be elevated to general manager, at least as far as I'm concerned, that's not the way that anybody would think about this. And clearly that's not the way the jets did. And if he was such a hot commodity, somebody would have hired him in some capacity by now. So not saying that he can't turn into a good executive, but I think that his value was inflated, like you said, by Jets Twitter and by some members of the media who were pushing something that I don't think was ever real. Yeah, like I said, I, I just wasn't sure where all of this was really coming from. I could never really figure it out. Uh, but your your quarterback backup quarterback, comparison is uh is a good one and just for proof of that uh sanchez was doing so bad that there was a large segment of the fan base that legitimately wanted tim tebow being the starting quarterback Mm -hmm. so yeah that that's how that goes in fairness to tim tebow as bad as he was as a quarterback i think at that point the jets were so bad that it was just more a matter of why not give it a shot and see if maybe he could make some plays with his legs. Because remember, when he was in Denver, sometimes all it would take is a couple of plays. The defense was pretty good. So if the defense played well and Tebow could make a few nice plays, maybe they could eke a few out. And you knew that Sanchez was toast already at that point, so why not give Tebow a shot? I think at a certain point, fans even went past Tebow and were yelling for Greg McElroy. In fact, I know it for a fact because I was in the stands hey, when that would happen yeah the the McElroy stuff was was there too and uh yeah that that was hilarious uh yeah the fans definitely lose their sanity when it comes to quarterbacks and McCagnan was driving them insane too so a very similar thing happened there while sports can bring us so much joy it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate relax and get decent sleep Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
I remember when I had Kerry Rhodes on to talk about the 2008 season, and that was the year that they traded for Brett Favre in the summertime. And before that, you had Chad Pennington competing with Kellen Clemens and Brett Ratliff for the starting job, although it was really Pennington and Clemens. Brett Ratliff was just kind of there, although he had a nice preseason playing against third stringers. And I remember fans wanted nothing to do with Kellen Clemens, and rightfully so, because he had been terrible when given the chance to play the year before. He had played half the year, and Pennington played half the year. And it was funny because as bad as Pennington had been in 2007, when Clemens came in, he was even worse. And so you sit there hearing fans chant, we want Brett, we want Brett, meaning Ratliff. This was before Favre. And as Kerry Rhodes joked, he said, that was kind of insane because he was a nice kid and all, but he was playing against third stringers. He never played a second. He was an undrafted free agent. And you think this guy should start over Chad Pennington? I know you're frustrated with Chad because he had a rough 2007, but come on. So I think it's kind of that same dynamic here with Hemmerdinger. Fans were just so desperate for any glimmer of hope that they clung on to him. And I think some of the media members... We're clinging on to that as well. Same way that fans were frustrated with Chad Pennington that they clung on to Brett Ratliff, who in reality was never good enough to ever play a down in the NFL, even after getting traded and reunited with Eric Mangini. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's basically what we're dealing with here is just that backup quarterback situation. And uh, again, that's all the proof that you need that the Jets did the right thing by firing McCagnan. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next two questions are kind of related, so I'm going to combine them. One of them is from Michael Palace. The other is from Jets Timeline, so I'm going to fuse them. Michael asks, Adam Gase said he'll defer to Joe Douglas. Do you think he really will? And Jets Timeline said, since I keep remembering your line about your friend telling you that Adam Gase was swinging his dick around, you have to assume that Joe Douglas is now immune to such swinging. Yes? Just how strong do you see his position? What's the new balance of power within the organization, especially with the six-year deal? So here's what I'll say. And Chris, you have sources on this, so I'll let you elaborate and talk about it as well. I believe that Adam Gase is willing to work hand-in-hand with Joe Douglas. I think he has a ton of respect for Douglas, and that's why he lobbied to get him the job, and that's why he said during the press conference that everybody knows that if Joe likes a player, then you should trust him because Joe knows what he's talking about. However, we both know that Adam Gase is very much an alpha, so while he may defer to Douglas on matters in which he doesn't feel strongly, if it's something that he feels very strongly about, he's going to probably argue with Douglas and clash with him, and that's just the way things are going to be now whether or not it gets to the point where there's such a falling out that Gase feels the need to try and oust them or something like that I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen and if it does I would hope it doesn't happen all that quickly 
But that possibility is very much still there. I do think that Gase is going to meet with Douglas a lot and the two of them will share common goals and go back and forth. But I also think that when Gase feels very strongly, he's going to push back and push back hard. So I would say that he'll defer to Douglas at times, but there are going to be times where he'll be willing to battle real strongly with Bam Bam Douglas. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. The the move to get rid of McCagnan, it wasn't that Gase came in here and was just like, okay, I want to exert my power and get this guy out of here. It, it was a lot of, I don't trust this guy. I don't believe in this guy. And he does trust and believe in Joe Douglas right now. Uh, that doesn't mean that that won't change. And I definitely expect uh, Adam Gase to be uh, fully headstrong and push back if he feels that he's right about something and D- Joe Douglas is pushing back on him and they have a disagreement. So how long will that trust last will be the key. That'll determine the answer there. But right now he does trust his evaluation skills. He does. He will believe him and roll with him. Right up until the point where he feels that he needs to push back and make a scene. And if he does come to that point, I don't think he will be afraid to do that then either. That is not something that is in Adam Gase's character. But for right now, it, I, I don't anticipate any problems in the next year or two. It could be a problem down the line if, if things aren't, aren't going so well. Uh, but, I, you know... Douglas got the six-year contract, so Gase is going to have to be careful in that situation because I don't know that he's going to be winning that power struggle. Uh, the only way that's going to happen is if he, he's taken it to the playoff, deep in the playoffs right away. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Last question, Chris, and it comes in from Tim. He says, I keep hearing people that are happy that Joe Vitt, quote-unquote, dunked on the Jets' beat during the press conference last week when asked about his past problems with Greg Williams. But if we're being honest, isn't that a question that needed to be asked? I know that a lot of the fan base doesn't want to hear about it, but still you're talking about a situation where one guy who is working on a staff with another guy testified against that guy and now has to theoretically take orders from him, even though the superior above both of them is the first guy's son-in-law. So obviously if you don't know what he's talking about, Joe Vitt is a defensive assistant under Greg Williams. Joe Vitt testified against Greg Williams and testified against him in very strong terms. It wasn't like, oh, you know, Greg kind of did the wrong thing. He really went to town on Greg Williams. And now they're working together with Williams theoretically his boss, but above both of them is Adam Gase, who is Joe Vitt's father-in-law. So what a weird triangle that is. I'm going to throw this to you in a second, Chris, because this is obviously more your domain than mine. But 
Of course they had to ask this question. They wouldn't have been doing their job if they didn't. It's not like they spent the entire press conference talking about it. There were a couple of questions. Most of the questions were not about that. And I know that a lot of people are going to get mad at both Rich and Daryl for asking the questions. But the bottom line is they're questions that needed to be asked. As Daryl said on the podcast last week, he didn't care that Joe Vitt pushed back on him and gave him a mean answer because it actually gave Daryl something to write about over at NJ.com rather than a no comment where he would have had nothing. So Vid actually did him a favor by doing this and, and did Rich and every other beat reporter a favor by doing it as well because it gave you guys something to talk about. However, again, as much as portions of the fan base will get mad and say, oh, well, this is tabloid stuff, the way that he called Daryl a part-time writer for the National Enquirer or whatever he was trying to imply there. It was a question that absolutely had to be asked. It has news value. The whole situation is bonkers. Vit, to the best of my knowledge, hasn't been asked about it directly. And the reporters in question would have been derelict in their duty if they had not asked it. So for anybody that says, I don't care about that issue, why'd you waste your time? You may not care about it, but these reporters have a job to do. And that's the way I see it. Again, I'm not a reporter. Chris, I would imagine that you have a similar vantage point on this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to start by saying, I, I saw, you know, people talking about Duncan on the media and Daryl didn't give a damn and Rich didn't give a damn. And they're, they're not going to be bothered by any of this, I <laughs> promise you. Um, also, I totally understand a lot of the, you know, the, the complaints from fans about the beat. I totally understand. But there's so many times they have complaints that are just ridiculous and unfounded because this is something that had to be asked. And uh, this is the first time we got to talk to Greg Williams. This is the first time we got to talk to Joe Vitt. So, yes, these questions should have been asked and answered months ago when they were hired, but we haven't gotten a chance to talk to them then. And maybe you, fan, don't care about this, and maybe you think it's pointless and stupid, but there's other fans out there that, do care about this and have been wondering about it. You can't take everything so personal and act like you're the only one the beat is talking to. Everybody is different, fans included. Fans want different things. This is an a la carte situation. I can't just, there's no story any of us are going to put out that every single fan is going to love or every single fan is going to hate. There's always going to be some type of split there. Again, there's so much about this job, about uh, being a reporter, about media, that fans just don't understand. Uh, somebody tweeted last night about, uh, before the game even started, that about cheering in the press box. And I made a tweet about how, you know, this happens way more than you think in NFL locker rooms. And I, I were in NFL press boxes, and I had people just sitting there being like, that's ridiculous. Why can't you root for teams? Because you're supposed to be unbiased. That's the way journalism works. And then mm -hmm. they say, oh, this isn't life or death situation. Who cares? Lighten up. Have some fun. You take yourself too seriously. No, if I show bias or if the team shows bias, then you're not going to take anything they say seriously. You're only going to go to that for stuff you agree on. And then that you have to remain unbiased or at least admit your biases and be able to remove yourself from your bias. That is a 
extremely uh, critical part of the job. If you can't remove yourself from your biases, you can't do this job. You can't be trusted to give accurate information and accurate analysis here. But it's 2019, and there's still so many fans out there that don't understand that very simple concept, which is like one of the number one rules of journalism. And it's the same thing with this situation. Just fans don't understand that in situations like this, I don't care about it. I can care less, but it needs to be asked and it needs to be answered. And they can be answered in such a dismissive way. And we can say, all right, whatever, but it needs to be asked. And there are fans out there that want that to be asked. And sometimes we have to ask questions that, you know, dumb questions that we know the answer to, but we need a quote for it. And, uh, you know, again, if, if nobody on the beat asks those questions, then when people to turn uh, <clears throat> their stories into their editors, they're getting yelled at by their editors for why they didn't ask this question. Uh, like, these need to be addressed. It, it, there's no way that a re- any good reporter with assault wouldn't ask that question for, to both it and to Greg Williams. And again, if you don't care, then don't care. Don't pay attention. Screaming about it and going nuts about getting junk dumped on it means you do care about it in some way, shape, or form. So just let it go. Don't not to pay attention to that. But sometimes, again, the beat, we are not here to just be cheerleaders for the team. We're not just here to make you feel good about the team. We have to address situations like that. And if you're going to sit here and say that that's not a question that should be asked of these guys after everything they went through, that testimony, the bounty gate, that, that, that's not deserving of a question. I, I don't know what to tell those people. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As I talked about with Manish Mehta, who's in the middle of an in-depth series that we've been doing on Mondays here on Play Like a Jet, Joe Beningo accused him of not caring what's in the best interest of the team, and a lot of fans have said that too. I don't understand that criticism. He's not supposed to care about what's in the best interest of the team. As Manish himself said, he prefers to cover a good team because it's more enjoyable. Yeah. But his main job is to report on the team. Now, you could question his methods or whatever else you want to question about him. And if you want to poke at actual holes in reporting, you're more than welcome to do that with Manish or anybody else. But as you said, Chris, the idea that these reporters are supposed to be cheerleaders is ridiculous. I also think it's funny that people think that Rich and Daryl are upset about this. I could tell you this for a fact. I don't know anything about Rich. I would imagine that he probably doesn't care much, but I can tell you for a fact with Daryl that he doesn't care because I know Daryl pretty well. I know his personality. He's got a lot more important things going on in his life right now, including and especially the latest sales that are going on with flannel. He's got to go out there and get as many flannel shirts as he can at the best deal. And he doesn't take any of this personally, and it's a job to him. It's not like he goes home and cries into a pillow or something like that. In fact, like I said, he was happy that Vit gave him that cantankerous answer because it gave him something to write about rather than a no comment. So trust me, the reporters don't really care that much about this. And I don't understand the criticism or the idea that they got dunked on. They asked a question that needed to be asked. I thought personally that Vit sounded ridiculous. What he should have said instead of what he said where he gave them something to write about is something along the lines of, listen, everybody knows that Greg and I have had our issues in the past. You can look it up. 
I don't have to tell you about it. However, we've sat down, we've hashed it out. It's all behind us now, and we're going to go into the season and coach together and put our heads together and do everything we can to make this a successful defense, and that's really all I have to say on the matter. If you would have said something like that, nothing else would have even come of this. But of course, some of the fans are just so angry at beat reporters for asking any critical questions that they get mad at something like that. This kind of reminds me, though, Chris, like you said, the people that are like, oh, I don't care about that question. It's that Ricky Gervais bit where he's talking about how he has 11 million Twitter followers, and he'll tweet something, and then people say, well, I don't like that, or I don't want you to say that it's the equivalent of going into the public square seeing a poster for guitar lessons somebody's giving guitar lessons and here's my number call if you're interested and somebody calling that number and saying but i don't want guitar lessons why are you posting this up i don't want guitar lessons as you said chris if that's something that doesn't interest you then don't read the response or just skip past it whatever but I don't understand the criticism as if these guys shouldn't ask that question when, as you pointed out, they haven't had the opportunity to ask it yet, and it obviously is a huge story. It's not like this is something that happens every day. Yeah, I, again, the, the the reaction Joe Vitt had was absurd because you had to know this was going to be asked, and you could have just came out and just answered the question and said, we're good, man, just cool, move on. Um, I could definitely, I, I wasn't even in there for the Greg Williams special. I was running a little late. There's a lot of traffic cause it was, uh, pouring that morning. Uh, but I can tell you, I, I heard Daryl ask the question. I looked at Daryl's face when he was asked, asking the question. And when Joe Vitt responded, Daryl was chuckling. And I guarantee, I promise you, uh, Daryl got a, a huge kick out of it. It was just funny to him. And, uh, yeah, it was absurd. And then, you know, you talk about it. I promise you, all you guys, Manish is not biased. He gets called a homer and a hater at the same time. And that happens to me, too. Some fans will call me a homer sometimes, and they'll say I hate the team and I'm trying to take them down and ruin the team. And it's not true, man. We're just trying to report and do our jobs. Some reporters will play up certain things. Um, but, you know, I'm not, there's nobody who's going to like every single thing I say, every single question I ask or thought I have. You're going to disagree and not like some of that stuff. And you might hear me say something be like, yeah, that's stupid. And it might be stupid. I'm going to be stupid sometimes. That happens. But uh, for the most part, there's a reason. There's almost always a reason behind it, a journalistic reason that you don't understand. And I'm not trying to say this like journalism is some super complicated thing that you couldn't possibly wrap your mind around. But there's a lot of little things about journalism that you don't know unless you you know it, unless there's something that you studied. So there's going to be some things that fans miss along those lines. And this is, again, something that absolutely needed to be asked. And again, I think the biggest criticism that fans have of media and reporters comes from a lack of understanding what the job really is. Chris, I know you pretty well now, and I can say this with a high level of certainty. You don't have any bias except for the fact that you have a huge bias against Oreo cookies. That's the only bias you have. That's fair. That's fair. That's absolutely correct. And, I, and I'm standing in my belief there. <laughs> and with that, we will wrap up the mailbag. So if you're a big fan,